This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with Cardiff Blues forwards coach Tom Smith. A former Ospreys player in his own right, Tom discusses the importance of player profiling, how to periodise a player's week for performance at the weekend, and what separates the good players from the elite. As always, please help to be part of the growth of this podcast by sharing with friends and family. I hope you enjoy. So listen, uh, Tom, thank you very much for giving up some of your Wednesday morning. Um, I guess first, the most important thing, how are things, how are the kids, how are the family, etc.? Yeah, all, all good. Um, I suppose we're coping with uh, lockdown as best we can, the same as everyone else. Um, but, uh, you know, luckily that we've been all healthy, all our families have been healthy so far and um, hopefully that continues and um everyone you know we get these vaccines rolled out and um we hopefully can get back to normal as quickly as possible and get some people back into stadiums would be nice as well i'd imagine that's been the difference for you yeah it's um it's funny how quickly you you adapt and things become the norm uh first couple of games we played back in uh september i think it was um very strange you know playing in uh empty stadiums, empty grounds. Um, and you can hear, you know, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a bit more intimate because you can hear the noise from the, the pitch as much, but you don't get that emotional, um, connection with the game, I suppose, with the, with the crowds pros and cons to that, because I think you can, um, initially I found that you could probably keep your emotions in check a little bit more. You didn't get dragged into the emotional reactions from the, from the crowd. So you could probably, it could, it's a bit more clinical, um, you know, you're just looking at the game, at the game itself. Um, but obviously, you know, everyone wants to get into rugby and plays rugby and stays in and want, coaches rugby because it's 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 an emotional game and we have an emotional attachment to it. So, uh, yeah, we all look forward to getting um, crowds back in because you know that's why we love the love the sport. Has there been any um, kind of changes by the fact that you can hear? what the other team are saying as well? Do you think that's made players more alert to what's going on around them? Uh, possibly. Um, you know, I remember, you know, as a player and um, coaching, you know, the times where you'd be saying, you know, that, you know there's going to be a lot of noise, so you may have to change your calling, um, your calling structures, you know, your, pro- your calling processes, because, you know, verbal cues can't necessarily be heard. You can pretty much pick up, pick up everything that the players are saying now. So sometimes in analysis as well, you know, you can you can pick up calls and, and you can you can hear it on the on the ref mics on the um, on the audio. So yeah, it, there's a little bit of a difference there because you, you can start to use those verbal cues and those auditory cues, which normally you you can't hear or you can't really decipher in in your analysis. So. Um, yeah, there's a little bit in that. Um, I suppose you'd have to ask the players and asking them. I think sometimes just this such in the heat of the battle, you can't really take in all your all your stimuluses. So there are there are elements of that where the crowd noise being down helps in terms of communication. 
but as it could also help the opposition as well you know picking up on your on your calls and your triggers and things like that so um but again people you know you adapt so quickly um you know the first like i said the first couple of games were very strange and then now it just seems to have become the norm again um so you you, you go you turn up and you, you know you're not expecting the crowd and it's just become normal it's it's very quickly how obviously humans are very adaptable aren't they and you know we we can adapt and we can evolve pretty quickly and it's strange how things just become normal again so it'd be strange going back you know it'd be strange to go back to crowds and the emotional attachment but that's you know that's where we want to be that's where we want to be uh, be playing yeah i think it'll be a good day for everyone when you get back to that normality and even if it is getting a bit of stick away from the away fans it'll be uh, it'll be nice to have people there as you said that's the reason you play so we've jumped straight in here um <laughs> which probably doesn't give people uh, you an opportunity to tell people your background you just want to explain kind of what role you're in at the moment and i guess like your journey is how how you got there um yeah so uh well start i suppose starting from the beginning is a good place to start um so i've been involved in rugby for for a long time started playing rugby at a, at a young age um and then was lucky enough to uh play professionally for uh the ospreys um so i I studied medicine for for three years uh, and decided after my third year, I had the opportunity to, to have a senior contract, um, have a professional contract and decided to put my studies on hold and go down the playing route. Um, and it, it worked, got, um, got an offer of another contract. So I decided then to sort of stop my studies and put all my effort into being a being a rugby player played then for uh oh trying to think how long it was um probably took it i got a contract in 2007 and i ended up getting injured then in 2013 which it led to my retirement uh but i was very fortunate at the ospreys that um i'd i suppose built up a standing that um, I was already doing a little bit of coaching and uh, they, uh, you know, they were very kind to offer me a, a role within the academy. So I then went into uh, the academy manager role. So I was managing the, the running of day-to-day -day sort of operations at, at academy level and managing the academy staff um, while doing a bit of on-field coaching for the academy and assisting in the senior environment as well. Um, and as I was doing that, I probably you was probably spinning a few plates. It was um, the managerial role, uh, on pitch coaching role with the academy boys, the development, and then um, trying to help and assist the, the senior team as well and the, and the senior coaches. And it got to the point where I was probably trying to juggle too many balls, and um, I needed to make a decision really which way I wanted to go down. Did I want to stay in the sort of administration side of things, or did I want to? You know, really put my endeavours into into coaching, and um, I thought I was young. I was I was pretty fresh out of the game. I had sort of, uh, you know, the on the on the field feeling of that. Uh, sometimes you can't have as a coach, and you don't necessarily need it. But I think that was the the um, the benefit of that time to keep with the coaching because 
I was straight from the coalface, um, so to speak. Uh, so I decided to park the sort of administrative duties and just flipped, almost flipped jobs with another member of staff who's in the academy who took over the managerial roles and I, I just went purely coaching. Um, so coaching, so like head coach of the academy and then um, sort of like an assistant forwards coach to, uh, to the seniors then. Um, so I did that for a, a season uh, and then the opportunity came up with Cardiff Blues then um, with the forwards coach position. And uh, I've been there now. This this will be my third season with with the Cardiff Blues. So that's, I suppose, a you know a bit of a rundown of my professional rugby career to date. Perfect. Yeah, and obviously I've done a little bit of research into your background, etc. And there's definitely some um, great content that we we can discuss there. I guess with, with the Cardiff Cardiff Blues at the moment, um, kind of a change of of management, etc. Uh, for you guys in terms of kind of in-season uh, changes um, I know at times they can be particularly difficult I look at in a football example with Tottenham they went from playing a very high press to a very low block and from Poch to Mourinho etc how was that transition for you guys in terms of getting someone new coming in and having new philosophies etc um, you know it's always a it's always a bit of a disruption mid-season um, you know, it, no one ever wishes that on anyone and no one ever wishes it in, in, in your team because it, it does cause disruption. But, um, you know, it, it'd be a lot easier if it was a clean break at the end of seasons, I, su I suppose. But that's the nature of professional sport. You know, it, it happens. Uh, I think in terms of the on-field, you know, the, the, the poor rugby stuff, um, it doesn't really change a lot because it's still been quite fresh. It's only a sort of month or so now since um, the head coach uh, has left and obviously Dai Young has now, has now come in. It's only been really been a month. So in terms of rugby on pitch, uh, like tacticals, um, tactical changes, it probably hasn't been a lot. Um, but um, it's probably maybe more around the operational sort of stuff, you know, schedules, um, running of sessions and things like that where obviously then the new the new head coach or head guy you know he has his way that he wants to he wants the sessions to run so it's more I think it's more at the moment it's more operational um and I, I think that's obviously uh Dai coming in as well he realize you know he knows that he can't change he can't change the world in in a week so you know we're probably better off just sticking to what we're what we what we're doing um, or what we believe is we're, we're good at as a team. Um, and then I think he'll just drip, you know, drip some changes in over time. Um, you know, it, it can't, you can't just go from one, one style of play to another overnight. Um, because, you know, you need to play with the, to the strengths of your team and um, they need consistency, you know, to be able to perform. Um, so, yeah, I don't think there's been a lot of rugby changes, but, you know, obviously definitely putting a slant on some of the operational stuff just in terms of the, the difficulties of that change in uh, middle of the season as well is sometimes you know you do see a, a bounce back effect from teams you know that there's a change and it, it's again it's not necessarily the changes on the field I think it's just everyone 
it galvanizes everyone. Um, Do you see that around the training ground and during games? Uh, yeah, you know, you 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 make a point of it as well. You know, you you're trying to look for wins and trying to get you know boost motivation and trying to engender that sort of team, you know, that team ethic. And you know, you go through a bit of hardship, and you go right, boys, we're we're under the cosh here, and um, you know, we need to pull together now. Uh, so, you know, you do you. It's not. I don't think it's any surprise where there's a bit of turmoil in the club, uh, or you know, some changes, and you do see you see a you see a bounce. You know, you see an improvement in performance, or but it's it's not necessarily the you know tactical or the technical stuff, the detail on the pitch. I think it's just everyone rallies together. You know, it's, it's a team sport. You know, if everyone's rallying together and puts a, an extra percent in or extra half percent because of the hardship you've gone through, you know, it comes, it, it, it improves performance. So, um, yeah, it definitely sort of galvanised us. And, but it's only that, that period that can only last so long, I suppose. You know, it's, it's an immediate impact. And then, and obviously you have to try and continue that on then. And that comes through, obviously, the person who's in charge, um, putting, his, putting his slant on things, I suppose. Is there anything that... Um you particularly liked that challenged your workings beforehand that he come in? I know it's an operational point of view, but is there anything that he does in terms of how he schedules the week or anything like that, that you're like, actually, that's a really good and unique way of doing it? Um, I think you can always just learn from change. You know, that's the one thing that always happens in professional sport is change. You know, that's the one constant is that things are always changing. So, um, just by doing something different just makes you think in different ways. The way sessions are maybe set up just makes you think in different ways. So it, it's it's all good improvement for myself because you, I suppose you just get into maybe a process of doing the same thing the same way. When someone comes in with a, from a different, uh, different club or a different background, comes in, has some different thoughts on how he wants to do it. And then you go, right, how am I going to adapt to what, obviously what, what he wants to get out of it now. Um, it just makes you think more. And I think that obviously just helps you improve anyway. So uh, it's, it, it's not necessarily the specifics. I think it's just the, the change. You know, the change is probably the biggest thing that you can learn from because it makes you think. Perfect. So from a like weekly ske schedule type of overview, what does your week entail? What does it look like? What do you do with the players um, in preparation for a game day and then obviously game day itself? Um, so the, the league we, we play in, the Pro 14, uh, <clears throat> and I suppose, well, fortunately, unfortunately, whichever way you look at it, I, I would rather set days to play on. I, I'm probably a bit more of a traditionalist. I quite like Saturday afternoon rugby, you know, every week. But that doesn't happen um, with us. You know, we, we can play on a, a Friday evening. We could play all day, any you know any time on a Saturday, any time on a Sunday. So you, your weekly schedule do, can chop and change a lot, which sometimes affects your consistency. But just as a general, say if you had a Saturday to Saturday game where there were seven days, a general training week would be uh, Monday, Tuesday, rest day on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Obviously, playing play on a Saturday. Um, in terms of what we would do in a the week then. Monday would be uh, sort of review. 
So reviewing the previous game and then clarity uh, of what we're going to do for the for the next game. So reviewing reviewing some uh, you know obviously your um, review your preview of your of the of the last game and then right these are this is what we're gonna this is the game plan and what we're gonna target for the next opponent and then in terms of on pitch it'd be very light uh, maybe some light skill work um, possibly some game stuff just to have a little bit of flush get the boys moving and then it would just be sort of running through your running through your moves um, just to make sure that you get 100% clarity early in the week so that then from then on then you can start to add that pressure and you can start to build that performance to the next Saturday. Uh, the Tuesday would be your, I suppose, your big volume day where you uh, would you, you would train, obviously, your clarity from the Monday, but probably it would be a longer session that's maybe where you do a little bit of extra contact work, you know, your heavier work, so you get your volume stuff done um, on the Tuesday. And different teams will do it differently. We tend to do more of an attack focus on a on a Tuesday and then a defensive focus maybe on a, on a Thursday. Um, but, yeah, so that would be your Tuesday recovery on a Wednesday. Thursday then is probably a little bit more high in, high intensity, so shorter session, but trying to replicate game game intensity, um, and then Friday uh, would be captain's run or team run, um, and sometimes we may not even do we may not even do that. So it depends on obviously the work you've got in the week, how you feel the team is going. Do you need it? Do you just change it for a, you know? For, um, for a change, because again, start to get that reaction from the, from the players, but it's probably what they want as well. You know, speaking to the your, your your leaders in the team, do you feel you want a team run? Do you need to run through anything? But that would be, I'd say 90, 99% of that would be player-led. Um, you know, there might be a couple of little snippets at the start, just some key pointers, but um, majority of that would be player-led. So it's probably down to them and what they feel they need. And then obviously then we play on a Saturday. So that's an interesting uh, thing that probably you have in rugby that maybe we don't have so much in football in terms of having a sessions that's like your captain sessions or that entire session player led. So what does that actually look like in terms of the, I, I guess that they're going to want to plan the session or plan the session as a group? How does that process actually look for them? Do they have dialogue with the coaches? Uh, is it the same things they do every week? What does that look like that Friday? Um, that fr well, for us, that Friday looks like um, they go out, warm up, might play some games, get some smiles on faces, you know, just get a, bit, a little bit of energy. Uh, and then probably run a couple of defensive drills. Um just some, you know, some standard standard defensive drills just, just looks at our, our system. And then we'd probably get into a uh, couple of exits. So coming out of our, you know, playing out of our half or playing out of our 22. So us getting out of our half, play a couple of exits, play a couple of kickoffs. And then, then it'd be handed over to the players and it's just like, get over, you know, your attacking plays. Just... Um, and it probably just build from your try line up up to the opposition's try line. So, yeah, exits, get your kickoffs, make sure your restarts are, uh, are sorted, and then just over to your attacking plays. 
Um, and they wouldn't run through all of them. They might, you know, you know, what's the first attacking, what's the first attacking lineup we're going to run in the game? Right, sort that out. What's our, what's our play going to be once we start getting close to the 22, our close line 22 stuff? And it's just about them feeling ready and feeling confident. Um, you know, generally, we, the coaches, the defence coach will probably run the defensive drill at the start. After that, the coaches are probably stood, you know, right back behind the posts and the, and the captain is running it alongside, you know, your nines and tens and your, and your key callers. So they've done it enough now that it just becomes a little bit of a, a pattern, I suppose. And, you know, they, they know what they want. They know what they need to get through. Um, and yeah, it's pretty much over to them. You know, if if we need to coach on a Friday, we probably haven't done our job on a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. Um, so yeah, just in terms of the week, you know, it's obviously a bit more not all coach led at the start of the week, but a bit more coach led and just trying to taper down. And by the end of the week, you know, you just want to pass it over to the players, really. And so it sounds like there's quite a, a lot of like situational based work on the Friday going, you know, first line out, we're going to do this, or if the ball's in this area, we might exploit the blind side, etc. So how do the players um, decide on what kind of situations they're going to work through, I guess? And then also, do you see going through this that they hold each other accountable for the standards that they're keeping ready for the game the following day, if it is a Saturday, obviously? Uh, Yes, the, in terms of the first part of your question, um, you know, all that will be done right at the start of the week. You know, it won't be, that's not decided, you know, right on the Friday. You know, that'll probably be discussed on the, on the well, even prior to the Monday. You know, there'll be, we, we use a fair bit of play, you know, player interaction and, and player involvement in terms of our previews. It's not just coach-led, and that would come from all the coaches, really. Um, you know, so it's involving them in the building of our game plan for that game. So, you know, start of the week, you'll be having conversations with key uh, key individuals. How do you want to target them here? You know, what's the first? So on a Monday, we'd have we'd have those callers meetings. You know, what are you seeing? Are you seeing the same thing as I'm seeing? Um, what? How do we want to target them? Right, this week, you know, we're going to go in with this, this, and this. Um, this is going to be our first one. Um, this is going to be our stock standard play if we need to get back to you know retaining a little bit of possession. So you'd have those conversations on the Monday, and then you'd hope, hopefully, you would you would then train that Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. So by the time Friday comes and Saturday comes the game, it's it's almost second nature. Um, and then in terms of keeping them accountable, yeah, you know the we. At the Blues, we've probably said that we would like some, some uh, you know, we need to try and keep developing our on-field leaders. Um, we've got a pretty young, pretty young squad. Um, but that's hopefully through that process of, you know, those conversations on the Monday involving them in it. That's the way we're trying to help build that lead on-pitch leadership. But in terms of picking up standards, yeah, the boys, you know, boys at times can be pretty harsh on, on, on driving those standards. Um, and it's not necessarily around skill error, you know, no one means to drop a ball. It's, it's probably just, you know, what are we doing here, boys? We said we weren't going to do that. We're going to do this. Um, but that doesn't necessarily, you know, by the time you get to Friday, it, it should be like a well-oiled oil, machine. Um, 
you know, it doesn't, you don't necessarily get those conversations on a Friday because again, if, if you, if you do or something goes completely wrong on a Friday and you're doing stuff that you haven't practiced all week, then we haven't done our job Monday to Thursday. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, is there any particular strategies you guys use to try and develop those leaders? Because I know that's a common thread along, you know, the sports all across the thing is how you develop leaders, how you get, develop players that take accountability for themselves and for others. Have you guys got any particular ways that you do that? Um, we we did a bit at the start of this season in terms of, you know, off-field leadership development meetings. And we've done a little bit of that. Um, with, I suppose, it's a, it, this season has been quite difficult to, to get that. I suppose everyone's had difficulties doing everything this year. You know, we, we, you've come... Everyone has more challenges and more hurdles to get over because of because of COVID. Uh, but yeah, it's the start of probably actually last season it would have been. Um, you know, some off-field leadership development sessions. Um, but I think it's probably more the experiential sort of stuff. You know, the day-to-day um, conversations, chats with people. That's where I would say we put in a lot more of our energy and resource. You know, those conversations with callers on a on a Monday you know some of the more experienced leaders then picking up with head coaches on a Monday you know how do you think the game went are there any issues within and off field stuff you know what's going on with the squad um, you know any issues that we need to be aware of as coaches or the coach has got an issue with a player right boys I need you to pick up on this for me um, so just trying to do it more day to day, so learning within the job almost, um, and then I suppose on pitch leadership, um, how we develop in that. I suppose the the engagement you're hoping that the engagement that they have off the pitch leads them to have a better understanding of why they're doing things, so that when they get on the pitch, then they can. They know why we're doing it. So if a picture changes, then they can hopefully adapt um, quicker rather than just a message coming on from the from the coach. Um, and then I suppose certain things in training that we're trying to help them and be better to adapt, I suppose, is just throwing scenarios at them, you know, especially in that, in that Thursday session where we want to try and replicate game intensity. That's probably where we would then... Uh, you know, throw some scenarios at them. They know they know the the perfect game plan that we've tried to implement or tried to get in from a Monday, but then there may be some curveballs thrown in on a Thursday. You know, some examples of that might be, um, you know, uh, yellow cards, yellow card scenario. You know, so and so is yellow carded. What, what are we going to do now? Um, or, you know this is the scoreline, this is what the time on the clock is, uh, this is where we are in the field, you know, off you go, what do you do? And then obviously you're just trying to replicate that game and hopefully the leaders on the pitch then, you know, they'll make the decisions. But hopefully by doing that in training, um, you know, it, they'll be quicker to do it in, in the game on the Saturday then. How In that case, how important is it for kind of the captain and the coach and staff etc to have alignment because I imagine if they are making those types of decisions on the field of play they need to be the ones that the coaching staff are on board with otherwise you get in at half time and go why have you made that decision or why have you done that so how important is their 
kind of alignment of philosophy or vision um, f- between coaches and the senior leaders? Oh, I think it's massively important. Um, and again, it comes from those, probably those meetings before the meetings, you know, the, the, the off, the, the one-to-one conversations that you have maybe over a weekend or you, you have early in the week on a Monday just to make sure that your, your leaders in each area, the guys who are, you know, who are running those, those areas are on the same page or you come to the same page. You might be on slightly different pages, have different views on different things or how we want to try and exploit, exploit teams. But then, you know, we, we have to come together and, and form a clear plan that everyone's on the same page at. Um, because, yeah, like you said, you can't have your coach wanting one thing and your, your player who's on the pitch doing wanting something else. And then it obviously wires across and that's where your performance slips down. So, you know, that comes from the effort that put in at the start of the week, I suppose. And um, that's why player engagement, I suppose, is so important. You, you, you can't just dictate to players these days. Um, you know, this is what this is what I want you to do. Um, you know, players have players have to feel responsible for it. And I think if they feel responsible for it, then and then you're clear with your plan, then then they'll implement it because you know they want it. They want it to achieve. They want it to um, to work. You know, they want it to be successful because they they're part of that process. Yeah, so I think that's really interesting. I think that's something that's becoming more and more commonplace across sports is that the players have to feel like they're part of the plan. Maybe, you know, years gone by, you could just dictate, which I don't think you can as much anymore. In terms of the Thursday sessions for you guys, um, which is obviously kind of a match replication, what would that look like from start to finish? So in terms of uh, timing-wise, in terms of, sets and reps etc what would that look like um and is there any particular distances and stuff or contact you're trying to hit during that session or um the, the probably this is the one of the areas that maybe has changed with the changing uh changing you know head coach with us now dies come in and he's um he, he's got a framework that he he's used in the past, I think, and likes for that Thursday session. So that's probably one of the change, biggest changes that we've seen is just that the, the not necessarily the, the content, but the, the structure of that session. Um, it's, it's similar to what we used to do before, um, but just a couple of little different tweaks. So, uh, you know, in terms of the makeup of the session, we'd want to keep it to probably 50 minutes you know, 50 minutes max um, because we want it to be high intensity. Uh, you know, you, you can't you can't be high intensity if you're going on for an hour and a half. Uh, so Thursday would be just one one rugby session, really. So um, we would we'd have a unit block, so like a forwards-back split at the start of the session. That would probably run for 20 minutes. And then... Uh, 20, 25 minutes, depending on obviously how, how we feel we've gone in the week, what we need to work on, you know, new combinations. Um, but yeah, 20, 25 minutes of units. And then it'd probably be 20, 25 minutes a team, or maybe a little bit longer, maybe half hour, half an hour team block at the end. Um, the unit stuff at the start, in terms of forward content, it would probably be running, uh, obviously all the clarity that we've got from the start of the week in terms of our line out and scrum attack 
getting that, but doing it a bit more randomised and a bit more game realistic. So putting them in different scenarios, different areas of the pitch and trying to randomise it. Um, but we would have a, a more of a defensive focus as well. So we'd probably prioritise our attack start of the week and then our defence towards the, the back end of the week. So it just interspersing our uh, attack with some some defence just to make sure that we got our systems in place. And in terms of the team session, uh, we'd probably run a couple of drills to start off with, just some attack and defence focus drills just to make sure we're on the money. And then the bulk of that session, probably 15, I say bulk of the session, 15, 20 minutes would be for what dies want. It is more of a, a performance session. So again, match replication really. So just almost playing 15 v 15. Um, and it wouldn't be contact. Uh, you know, we, we always try and just go, just go grab, just to make sure the speed of ball is realistic to a game. But it, yeah, it wouldn't be any. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be like 15, 20 minutes of live contact. It may be a little block at the end where there'd be a couple of minutes just of some live stuff, just to give us a bit of a spike. But that would probably be if we felt we needed it. Wouldn't necessarily be every week, but within that block, yeah, it would be just trying to match, just trying to replicate the match as closely as you can. So I'll run a kickoff. If they kick out, what's our first line out of the game? Run the line out. And then you may just sort of, um, you may manage it a little bit so that you you know what you want to get out. You know you want to get maybe three or four attack attack sets, you know, a couple of four, three or four defensive sets and where they want to be on the field. And you would just manage that session then accordingly. But you're trying to keep it as, as close to game as possible. Um, and then you may just drop in a couple of scenarios at the back end to try and hopefully develop that on-field leadership and, uh, you know, develop those leaders to be able to be adaptable in game situations. This is interesting what you said there regarding the contact. So throughout the week, is it very minimal contact that you'll do with the players? <laughs> um yeah, it's you know every rugby session we go, we're not doing live contact every session. You can't do it these days. Um, you know, with the, how physical the game is, the boys play on a Saturday. They're still going to be banged up by a you know they're still going to be banged up on a Tuesday. So it, it's it's managing where it is in the season, managing what you you think you need, what you you have covered, what you haven't covered over the over the last couple of weeks, and I suppose it's just dropping it dropping it in. Forwards, forwards, specific stuff. You know, I think we need to. It's little and often. Um, you know, so we, we we're not going to spend an hour doing driving lineouts and live scrums. So it's we try and prioritise doing more of our live our live stuff front of the week so that they can recover and they're nice and fresh for the game. But again, little and often is it's you know we'd we'd hit a you know couple of live scrums on a so like maybe. Four or five live scrums on a on a Tuesday, alongside um, you know four or five live driving lineouts, and then it'd probably be on the Thursday would be, um, you know maybe it's just getting into spaces just yeah so just to the bump and then not really to completion so just making sure that you're in your right right spaces on a Thursday. In terms of the teams team element, it'll depend what we've covered off. If we haven't covered off a lot of goal line defence for a couple of weeks. Then the defence coach might want to go right. I got. I want um, two two-minute bouts of of live goal line defence at the end of that. But maybe that performance session or the back end of a Thursday. It's all. 
it'll all be based on obviously what the medics tell us, you know, in terms of who's fit and who's available, because you got you can't risk banging anyone up and them not being available uh, for the match. And also what the players feel as well. You know, you get a sense, you know, there's monitoring going on daily. You get the reports of how they're feeling. And if, if they're all coming back and they feel banged up and knackered, you know, we're not going to get anything out of doing live stuff. So it's, it's very much um, a suck it and see. You know, it's, it's, it's feeling where we are in the season. What have we covered, haven't we covered over the last couple of weeks? And then reacting to what the players are feeling as well and, and you know, how their bodies are, are, are acting. So, you know, you're talking in terms of a, a, gen, a normal week, you're probably looking at a oh, single, you know, single figure minutes of, um, of contact element, you know, a week less than that. You're probably looking at maybe five, five to six minutes of contact a week. This is, I guess, this is a challenge situation because the reason you guys do it is obviously to protect the players and protect physically. Do you think it has a negative effect on the players that, like, during games when they're trying to tackle, etc.? Because I'd imagine, you know, 20 years ago where you're able to do contact every session, play, although players might have been getting beaten up a little bit more, the rep you know, the repetition of that contact allows them more opportunities yeah. to practice the particular uh, type of tackle. Think, well, when I, when I say, con like, that's probably in structured sessions, you know, units, Ford's units, will, will, we're going to be doing more contact in the backs because <laughs> um, it's, you know, it's more in scrum, we can't get away from that. Um, but in terms of then, you know, live in, in team sessions, you know, where it's full, it's literally like game replication live. It's like body on body, full tilt. Um, you know, you we did a session a couple of weeks back where, you know, we're talking each team had like two, two minute bouts of, of contact, you know, defense and attack. And that's the most contact we've done, you know, for weeks. And um, because we didn't have a game, you know, we did it because we didn't have a game and we did. So they've done, eight minutes of live contact, you know, four minutes of attack and four minutes of defence. And that's probably, that's the most contact that we've done in, in weeks. I mean, you're talking eight minutes. But in terms of your preparation for contact in games, you know, boys do extras after sessions and that will probably be where then they get those contacts, but it's not full body on body. It's like with shields or technical, technical body on body so that they get, they get the, enough repetition so that when they come to the game they're prepared I suppose the difficult thing for people being prepared is especially this season is is the level of rugby underneath the pro game has obviously gone um, so say for example you know boys who are sort of and not necessarily or younger boys who are not necessarily broken into that first team yet but are in are in the, the squad um, but are not playing week to week and not getting any game um, you know games outside of that at a lower level if one of those boys then drops out of the first team and then they're asked to then move up I suppose it's how prepared how prepared are they um, and I suppose it's us and, and them keeping on top of their extras and making sure that you know their game replacement sessions are as um, you know trying to be as 
uh, as close to playing a game as possible. But it's it's hard to rep it's hard to replicate a game in training. Um, and it's, it's it's you know it's a difficult world at the moment. You know we I think that's the biggest thing of COVID at the moment is is having a massive impact on on younger players' development. And so, is there any particular strategies you guys have used to help those younger players? Because, like you said, it's I think it's something you know not just in rugby and football in all sports. The younger players, it's challenging for them when they're trying to make that jump into the first team environment. Is there anything you guys have done to try and support them in that transition? Uh, yeah, you know, you, you nothing can nothing can replicate the game. So you know. Hopefully, we can get back to getting some form of rugby underneath that first tier, um, and that's you know that would be the most important thing. Um, in terms of what we you know we we've tried to arrange some fixtures. So we had a, a friendly fixture last week um, that enabled a couple of the younger boys to play, and I think it was really good. But you could see you know coming to after the first half. Boys who haven't played, you know, starting to tire after like 45, 50 minutes, which is natural because you can do all the training in the world. It's different from playing a game. But yeah, trying to organize maybe some of those fixtures with other pro teams because they'll have squad, you know, they'll have big squads. But obviously it's been able to get them sanctioned, you know, with with all the protocols that you, you know, you have to you have to adhere to with with COVID restrictions. Um but then in, in training. I suppose it's just making sure that yeah those boys keep on top of their contact extras or their extra whatever you know their development points are and uh, in, in development plans is making sure that they pick up on those extras you know after sessions if they're not playing on a Saturday then there'll be a session that's run um, you know like a, a match replacement session uh, where hopefully the content of that depending on the numbers that you've got available to you hopefully the content of that will try and, you know, try and put them in those positions where they, you know, one through fitness, you know, playing games, maybe just doing some running, but getting those contacts as well. So when they've, obviously after that session, they feel as if they've not necessarily played a game, but, you know, as close to a game as possible so that they can keep on top of things. So, you know, so if someone drops out, well, one for their development, but if, again, if someone in terms of performance at the top level, someone drops out, the next one's ready to go. Yeah, so in in terms of, <clears throat> for you, you've mentioned a lot around um, kind of the, the review process and how that then informs your thinking and whatnot. So what does that review process kind of, I guess, after a game on, on the Monday and stuff entail? Um, is there any particular metrics that you use? Um, kind of, yeah, what does that review process look like for you guys? Um so the analysts will put together like a stats report of the game and we'll share that with the coaches. Uh, the players are pretty interested in it as well. So they share it with some of the players and they'll have a look. Um, but that'll just be sent out for information if people want want to, you know, want to look into it. In terms of review process in, within training and, you know, presenting the players, um, we've used different, different formats um, to change things up create different stimulus and a lot of it will depend on the length of the week as well you know if you've got a longer week you can probably go through a bit more of a formal review process this and then with them with previewing 
if you've got a short turnaround, you need to turn that around quite quickly. So in terms of a normal week, like a seven-day turnaround, you know, on a Monday, we'd we'd probably have we'd have a split unit um, unit block. So we'd have a unit uh, review. Um, so forwards and backs can review their review their stuff. Uh, and then in terms of team review, again, we've done it in different ways. Different things we've done is you know you just have a standard attack and defence um, review, uh, or we've done sort of quite rotational meetings. So quite short meetings. So you might have uh, the defence coach running a defence review, attack coach running an attack review, and then maybe one other area and splitting the group into three groups and then like literally like six minutes in each on each station and just quickly just drop around. So just the key points from the week, um, do that and then probably would pr then move to preview later in the day just to not to try and give them too much information in one in one hit uh, so that they can retain that, that info. Um, in terms of shorter weeks, where you need to turn things around quite quickly, we use a lot of uh, um, sort of like uh, screen record um, reviews, voice voiceovers from coaches, and then send that out through the simplest way that we found is just send it out through WhatsApp. Seems to seems to work okay for us. Um, the one downside to that, I suppose, is you lose the uh, you lose the player engagement because you're sending something out, you don't get any any feedback back. But I suppose then the skill of the coaching is to is to check when we when we get together, is to check that understanding and then get that get that engagement after you've sent the stuff out, and it works it works quite well. Um, I think that pre almost that pre meeting material, so you still might have a meeting, but you've sent the stuff out beforehand. It gives them a chance to have a look at it themselves, and then when they come to the meeting. It's they're not seeing it for the first time, so hopefully they they've been able to form more of an opinion on it, um, or you know watch it themselves, understand it, and then then I suppose the skill of the coaching is to is the questioning the skill of the question, so not just checking you know that they've not just checking that they've listened to it, is making sure that they understand it and then checking for that deeper knowledge in within that area, so. Ask the follow up the follow up question um, after the first one. Um, so yeah, different I suppose different um, different tools for different weeks. Uh, but yeah, just found us generally with forwards some of the forward stuff um, that pre meet the material being quite quite good actually. Yeah, I think particularly COVID at the, with COVID at the moment, it's a good way of, you know, still getting the content to the players. But obviously, you can't have meeting rooms with loads and loads of people in. So it's quite a yeah. good way of getting them the opportunity to see that. Yeah, um, so, so, you know, obviously dealing with those issues, we, yeah, that's why we've kept the meetings pretty short, smaller groups spread out, you know, so it's, it's just in and out. It's rotate around quite quickly, you know, smaller groups, so there's not as much contact. Um, yeah. So, in terms of the, the the review details that you're going through, is that relative to the plan that you had in place for the previous week, or is it things that have come up during the game that they've done particularly well or particularly struggled on? 
Um, is it like unit challenges that you've set for the backs or the forwards? What does that look like? Uh, probably a bit, a little bit of everything there. You know, at, at times I'm picking the right ones for the right weeks. I think you always need to review your preview. So this is what we went into the game trying to do. Did we do it? If so, why? You know, if not, why didn't we achieve our outcome? Um, so I always think you need to you need to review your preview because um, there's a clear you know there's a clear focus there, uh, and then other stuff it'd probably just be you know if there's anything that needs to pick up on your um, you know on your general process if you've got a certain way of doing something and there's a, a good example of it or um, maybe something that was was bad that didn't didn't work in your system so you're just reviewing your system and your processes um then obviously you need to pick that up as well because it's that continual driving of the of your of your processes of your of your systems that obviously you hopefully will pass over to your to your performance outcome um on that i found um i found so we're as coaches we're like naturally we're looking for error. <laughs> um, but just to change that mindset, I found looking the other way probably better, has had a better um, carry over to the players, is highlighting highlighting positive reinforcement of what your systems and what your uh, processes are. I found that works better than picking up on, you know, error, like being an error detector. Um, I, why, I, I, why do you I, think that? Why do you say that? Um, just, I think the just the performance improvement in what I've seen by you trying to change my my mindset, rather than being an error detector, pick up on the good and 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 show that um, just reinforces good pra reinforces good practice, and just the the. Uh, you know, the output I've seen from that then has been more powerful than being of necessarily doing the other way, which I would have been a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, I just think that reinforcement of of good practice, you show in them what you want as well. So uh, it it probably helps in their understanding. You know, rather than showing them, don't do this. I want you to. I want you to do this. Just show them what you want. And it's easier to see. It's easier to see, and it's easier to replicate. Easier to see the outcome when the, the, there's a good outcome, a, a good example of the outcome there, rather than yeah. So say, I, I, yeah. So if you're looking for a certain technique, um, a certain skill, then you know, again, people learn in different ways. If I'm telling someone, I think you need to be, you know, I, you're, and I'm just talking verbally to them. You, you're doing it wrong in this instance. You need to be here, or your shoulder needs to be here. For example, um, do they are they understanding my words? Because if I show them a picture and just go, just this is what you know, that this is excellent work, then everyone goes right. Well, all I need to do is just just replicate that. Whether that's a simple, a simpler way of trying to convey the information to the players. Why have you had that transition? So why have you had the realization that actually going around and highlighting? the bad bits of play maybe isn't as effective as showing people the positive things that have been done or they've done? 
Um, obviously, that's just a um, you know continual development of myself as a coach. I suppose you know we we go through we have support networks that we speak to, and I suppose you pick up on things from different people, uh, and you try it. You you know you you someone says, "Oh, have you thought about this?" Um, you try it; it just seems to work, and then you sort of go down a different different path. Then, so I suppose it's just you know my continual development for me. You know, I, like I've made loads of mistakes, um, and it's it's accepting that, and then obviously learning from it, and just trying to do things better every you know every time. And um, one of the things that kind of fascinates me. Uh, rugby generically is how different I guess the players are and how different the skill sets are um, for those players I know from speaking to people on this podcast before they say rugby is everybody's game it doesn't matter what you look like what you like what, what yeah what, how you are physically there's a position on the pitch and stuff you can be able to play how challenging is that for you as as a forwards coach obviously you could have you know your props and your hooker who might be really strong and might be slightly less mobile than a really someone like Michael Hooper, the, the flanker for Australia, you know, he's really quick and agile, etc. How different is it? Um, or how difficult is it for you to chat, uh, to, you know, manage those people and understand their individual skill set and how that you can use that in, in the pack? Um, Well, that's that's I suppose that's you know it's very positional specific. You know, your your props are your bigger your bigger lumps because they're your foundation of your scrum and they're the ones who are doing the pushing. Your second rows are your tall your tall guys because they're the ones winning the ball in the line out. Your back rowers are your fast ones because they're more mobile so they can get to the breakdowns. You know, it's that's it's positional and you. That's where you get into, I suppose, as as you develop as a player when you're younger, you know, and it's not pigeonholing people um, just because of what they look like and their body shape into those positions. But I suppose your your physical makeup is gonna is gonna endear you to a certain position because you're going to be more effective in that position, um, and you're going to be become a be, um, a better player, you know. I'm probably generalizing, but someone who's someone who's six foot ten and is is more likely to be an effective second row than they are uh, an open side flanker. You know, they're going to be they're going to be um, they're going to be times where that doesn't necessarily ring true. But the majority of the time, he's going to be better suited to that because of his physical stature um, and because of what uh because of what you want to get out of that that player in that position um in terms of managing their you know their individual skill sets uh, then it's it's using them where they're best suited you know so um say if you're playing you know an attacking style of game then close to the line you yeah you you probably want your props to carry because you're they there's you know, you're stronger, heavier, more physical individuals. Further out, where you might be looking to play a bit more of a ball handling game, you're probably going to want to have your back rows on the ball. So it's it's using them where they're best suited as well. 
Is it important that you profile um, players coming into the club that fit kind of what your team's philosophy is as well? Because imagine, for example, if you did have an open side flanker, one that's really, really mobile, can get around the pitch really, really well, and the other that maybe isn't so mobile, but is great in contact and physically can t tackle better. I imagine from a game plan point of view, it could be really challenging if one gets injured um, or, you know, one suspended for a certain, certain fixture. So is it important that you profile players that kind of have similar-ish skill sets so that it doesn't ruin the team dynamic when you go from game to game? Uh, yeah, uh, I think 100%. Like you have to recruit on your, what your game model is. Um, you know, if you, if you want to be playing a fast and open game, you'll recruit fast and fast and skillful players. You know, if you want to play um, uh, a more set piece orientated game, you know, collision dominance, you know, maybe forward related, then you'll have to recruit. You have to recruit on on what you think is going to make you successful in that area. There's no point just recruiting people. Um, so willy nilly, you know, you, you have to be, the, you know, reasons why and what that's going to offer to your team to make your team better. You know, you'll have an idea. The head coach will have an idea of how he wants to play the game, and then all the effort and recruitment has to go into guys who suit your game model. And how much um, say would you have in that as a as a forwards coach? How much say or assistance would you give and going? I've seen this player whose contract's up in the summer, or. How much help and guidance do you have in terms of those players that are coming in? I think the the way it would work would be, you know, we're as coaches on the on the on the ground. You know, we're not privy to the conversations that go on in the boardrooms of, of who's available, who's not available, how much money's you know in terms of uh, sal you know salaries and things like that. But you know, there'll be discussions of what we need. You know, what do we need? To make our team better, what positions are we are we liked in? You know, where do we feel we need to recruit? And then, I suppose names will be passed across people's desks of who are out of contract. And then it's about us probably doing the due diligence then on them. So looking at the footage, and then as coaches, us going, yeah, this this guy's available, this guy's available, this guy's available. Well, player one probably suits probably what player one suits our game best. So we'd like to go for him. And then it's giving that information back to whoever's doing the recruitment and dealing with the contracting. And, you know, then making the decisions based on obviously the finances and obviously the feedback from the coaches then. So it, our involvement as coaches will probably be the due diligence part, you know, watching this stuff and seeing who fits, who fits our team best. Um, and as coaches, who we think is the best player to, to recruit, pass that information back to the uh, the guy who's managing the recruitment, and then it's up to them then to you know to take it to the next stage, I suppose. And beyond watching footage of them, um, what due diligence can you do? Because I imagine it, be quite, it can be quite ch challenging in terms of to get loads of background on the player or anything like that. Um, yeah, so it's not just, I was going to say, it's not just the on-field stuff. It's not just their playing capabilities. You know, they have to fit in uh, off the pitch as well. And this would just be my my take on it. You know, personally, you know, you, you, you always want to look at their character as well. You know, they have to be able to fit into the team 
team dynamic. Otherwise, you could have the more skillful player, um, but if he comes in and he doesn't fit into your your group dynamic, he can probably cause more problems than he can he can solve. Um, so yeah, it would be I suppose reaching out to your network of of contacts within the rugby world. You know, rugby is a pretty you know close knit game. You know, you you'll have people who move on to different clubs and. It's about then asking those questions and, and putting your feelers out there to your contacts, you know, um, just to get a bit of information of what a guys are like off the pitch, you know, m- more so than on the pitch, I think. Um, what type of person are they, you know, w- what leadership qualities are they going to bring to us? Um, can you, are, they good to, are they easy to get on with? Um, yeah, just some stuff around the character. Yeah, I think it's, it's a really interesting side of the game but in all sports and I think it's something that's probably going to continue to grow because the ability for players to settle in an area and then settle into a group I, I agree with you I'd say is probably more important than actually what they can do on the field yeah um, definitely uh, particularly if you're going from players from abroad for example if you're getting someone from France or Italy I'd imagine coming over here where it never uh, is never sunny or whatnot, and there's maybe not the best food, like pastas and stuff, could be a bit of a challenging situation for them. So, yeah, and you know, it, I suppose language as well, isn't it? You know, can they speak the language? Um, so, what's your support like for people who maybe English is not their first language? Um, yeah, it's everything, isn't it? Because you, you, the, the life off the pitch. And the group dynamic off the pitch is going to have a massive impact on on your performance on it. So you need to make sure that the, you get that right, because however talented you are, if 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 you can't play together with the other fourteen blokes who are on the field, um, then you're not going to get the best out of the team. So one thing I think is interesting, obviously, in your role, there's quite a diverse set of skills that you're going to have in terms of management and technical and tactical detail. When you were making that transition from a player into a coach, uh, I know obviously you mentioned before was enforced. Is there anything that you look back now and wish you'd spent more time on to improve that skill set? Um, I think when I started, like the pros of coming out of a straight out of playing to coaching, obviously that your your current, you know you. You've done, you've done the work that you're asking the players to do, so you're, um, you know, you, you, yeah, your, your technical knowledge, I suppose, is pretty current. But as as I'm developing as a coach, it's not it's not that it's not that part of the game. I don't think that you need to necessarily concentrate on too much um, because players will always. Players will always have more technical knowledge than, than I will as a coach. Um, you know, they'll always know how to how to get out of a situation more than I will because they're in it every day. I just need to put them in situations then um, that help them practice practice that. So I just need to you know put them into situations that are going to help them adapt and help them look, make them teach themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It was pro- It's probably. Where I, when I came out of playing, I, I went straight into, I, I went into, majority of my work was probably development coaching um, and development of like academy players. 
So it probably suited quite well because they ne- haven't necessarily had the playing experience to 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 know the technical detail. Um, but obviously, when working with senior players who are senior professionals, you know they they know like they know all the technical details. You can pick them up and you can and you can critique them here and there, but. You know, it's just about putting them in situations where they can learn, they can teach themselves a little bit. So back to your question, I suppose, what areas would I have developed in myself a little bit earlier? That concentration on technical aspects worked for me, I suppose, because I was a development coach and the players I was coaching didn't necessarily have the experience that I, I had as a player at that point in, in their development. But in terms of my off my development in myself, would probably have been um, rather than just concentrating on the technical because that's where my strength was at the time was probably more of the um, the the, the uh, like the off field stuff the um, the the leadership the um, the man management types you know that that area of uh, of coaching um, and building building relationships with players that's probably where I would have put more energy into into my development yeah I think it's always an interesting point when you're making that transition and you know everyone has a different skill set you have some coaches that are are really good on the technical detail like you alluded to there others maybe that's the technique and tactical side is the bit that they need to work on and and how courses are now beginning to incorporate all different aspects of that Um, so linking now kind of into your playing journey um, obviously, you mentioned that you played uh, for the Ospreys for a number of years. Um, I guess the first and easiest question is, what was it like when you made your debut? Do you remember it? Um, and how was that feeling for you and, and your family? Uh, it's a long time ago now. <laughs> um, I, was, I, was, I, I was actually in my third year of, uh, uh, of medical studies and... Um, it was coming to the end of the end of a season, and uh, I can't remember 100% remember, but I'm not sure whether the Oscars they, they had a maybe I might have had a few bodies out of um, out of the squad or um, people away with with international duties. I can't I can't really remember what it what it was, um, but I was in the I was in I was in the Oscars academy, and I was up in Cardiff studying. Uh, studying medicine and got asked if I was could could go in and train with the with the first team uh, for a couple of weeks. Um, so obviously I jumped at the chance uh, and went in and trained and then managed to play two games at the end of that at the back end of that season. So I was I was still in full time studies uh, and I obviously just got called up from the academy to to go and train with the seniors to try and fill I think it was to fill some fill some spaces uh, and I think I made my debut against. Trying to remember back now. Long again, like I said, long time ago. I think it was end of the 2006-2007 season. Um, I think it was against Connaught uh, at home on the Liberty Liberty Stadium. Um, I was on the bench and and came off the bench, but I can't necessarily remember my uh, my feelings and emotions at the time. But I do remember the enjoyment of going in and, and training with the first team. You know that that end of that season um, was was good. You know, it was a step up for me, uh, one that got me really excited to 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 try and kick on. Um, and then I, 
my second game. So that was you know, two games at the back end of that season, Connor at home and then Edinburgh away. And the Edinburgh away one was a good experience as well because I, I ended up rooming with uh, Philo Tiatia, who um, is a, you know an Ospreys legend. Um, and it was really good to build that relationship with Philo. Uh, and he from then, he, he sort of took me a little bit under his wing. And, um, you know, we still, still stay in contact today. And, uh, you know, he did a lot for me in my development as a player. Um, but, yeah, that's probably that memory of grooming with him in, in Edinburgh then. Um, like what? How did he help you? What did he help you with? Um, he was just he was just really good at, at giving up his time, um, you know, both on the pitch after sessions, doing some extras, uh, you know, in the, in the analysis room, going through, going through match footage and just putting an arm, arm around really. Um, and just being, you know, being there to, to talk, talk to and um, yeah, just take, taking an interest, I think is the biggest, biggest thing. Uh, you know, he, he made an effort to to take an interest and to and to put time into me, um, and obviously very grateful for that. As you know, there's a, a number of the senior players there, but um, yeah, he's definitely one that would you know would stick out in my mind. And do you think for you early on that highlighted the importance of having you know the right leaders in a group? Because I imagine if that had been the other way around where he wasn't a great leader and you're sharing a room with him, that could have been a very different experience for you as a younger player coming into that environment. Oh, 100%. Uh, you know, just how welcome I was made to feel um, and didn't feel nervous. You know, it was it was straight in and it was made to feel welcome. Um, didn't add any extra pressure onto me. You know, I, I'm... Again, I can't really remember because it's a long time ago. But yeah, of course, I would I would have probably been nervous before those games, nervous making that step up into the senior squad. You know that fear of failure and uh, question whether I was good enough to to make the step up. But if you're made to feel comfortable, it takes a little bit of that pressure away because you're, you know, you're on you're you're all fighting for the same cause. You're on the same team. Um, everyone wants. It just makes you feel as if everyone wants to. Um, as if everyone wants you to achieve, um, so you know, it just helps. Just helps take a little bit of pressure off you. And then, in terms of highlights um, for your time as an Osprey, as a player, what would you say is the one or two things that really stood out for you as particular highlights during your playing career? Um, it, I, got, I was I was very fortunate to. Uh, play age grade rugby for Wales, you know, sort of play for, come through with the age grade ranks and play for the um, you know, under-19s and under-21s and, and captain my country, you know, that's that's obviously got to be a, a real positive uh, positive for me. Um, in terms of being an Ospreys jersey, the, you know, they're, it's the big the big one would, would be uh, when we won the league, I'm trying to think when it was... Um, I think it was the 2011-12 season. So we, we won the league in the grand final out in Leinster against Leinster. Um, you know, that's a, that's, a, that's a big one. And um, I, re I enjoyed that season. Uh, I ended up captaining, this, captaining the team for large, large periods of, of that season um, while 
the internationals away, you know, um, for Six Nations and Autumn Internationals and, and the like. Um, so felt I had, a, I had a big part in getting us to that point. The, the, it was a bit sort of um, double-edged sword, really, because obviously massive achievement to win the final out in Leinster, but I was on the bench and I didn't get on. Uh, and uh, I played up to that point. I played in every every game of, of the league, so it would have been you know it would be nice to have played every game and then played in the final as well. But didn't manage to get on. But um, yeah, it was a great team, a great day. Um, it was perfect. Really, it was like it was a lovely day. Sun sun was out, crowds in the stadium, banging crowd. Uh, and uh, my family, um, my dad came over with uh, my wife and. Um, and her parents, and uh, yeah, it was just it was just a really good experience. Um, we had a we had a good uh, good celebration in the night the night after. Um, but then there's there's like a lot of highs then came just just around spending time with mates. You know, you you you, you get so close to people playing with each other, and it was large part periods of it were. Like going away, going away to the old Ravenhill, Ulster. You know when while the Six Nations are on. So you've got, you know, your squad is, you, your your core players are uh, are playing. Um, your internationals are away, and you go out to places like that, and then you come away with a win. And it's yeah, so it's the, those little small moments. It's not necessarily just the the championships. Um, I was lucky to be in two squads that we won the Pro Pro Twelve twice. Um, but it's probably the little, yeah, the little memories, the little small moments of just wins away on the road, spending good time in the change room with uh, with with your mates and, and and the other players. So you know, very fond memories of uh, of my playing days there. And something that um, intrigues me, and I think it'd be a good question, is what do you think separates kind of the very top players to obviously all the very good ones that you play with? I looked through when I was researching and some of the players it said you played with, people like Shane Williams, Alinwyn Jones, uh, Tommy Bow, etc. I mean, they're household names for people that maybe not don't even follow rugby necessarily. So what do you think it is that makes those type of people and type of players really stand out? Um, it's a good question because if you could give, if, if everyone knew that, you could bottle it and you could you could definitely sell it, couldn't you? But um, I think twofold really. Uh, physical physical ability, I think, is massive. Um, like you can't you can't be an international second row if you're five eleven. Like you just can't do it. So there's you you have to be you have to be um, a certain physical stature to play professional sport, and you have to have certain physical capabilities to 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 excel in certain positions. And I think that that helps massively. Saying that, just having those physical attributes and physical capabilities doesn't necessarily mean that then you're gonna you're going to get to the next level. So I think it's, you have to be over a threshold of, of, of what your physical capabilities are so that then the work you, you, and then the second point is probably how hard you work at your craft to then reach your ceiling, which probably is your physical capabilities. Um, and someone like you mentioned this, or uh, 
say Alan Alan Jones, like he's the same age as me. I, there's no way I could be playing rugby now, you know. And he's going and he's still putting in performances like he is, you know, today. Um, but it's, it's 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 no surprise because how hard he works, um, just diligence off the field, how you know well he maintains his body, um, his extras, uh, yeah, and just his work ethic um, is a second and none. And I just think it's that sort of that drive and that desire, like literally nothing will nothing will stop you. Um, yeah, so twofold really. I think it's just your physical capabilities will allow you to get there, but then it's just it's I suppose it's it's how hard you work and you're willing to work to to reach your reach you know your your potential. And do you think that that's something that that message is getting to younger players? better do you think that you know the ones that are coming through academies etc you're saying it's not enough just to have those physical characteristics it's not enough enough just to have be really skillful actually you need to take care of your body you need to take care of your mind you need to do your due diligence you need to do your extras do you think that's a message that's being um spread out a lot better yeah i, th- I, th- I think so um probably well i'll come, come back to probably one thing that i'm now thinking that I've, I've missed but I think people, players now see it's it's a route to profession, isn't it? Like when I was coming through initially, it was you didn't necessarily grow up wanting to be a pro rugby player. You know, it just sort of happened by you played rugby, you enjoyed it, and then you became you know you you were good enough to move to the next step, and you sort of built your way up. Whereas now it's you know it's definitely um, it's almost it can be a career choice, and I don't know whether that's a good or a bad thing, mind, um, but it's a career choice. So people will put more effort into get into it, into achieving it and striving for it. You know, you look at some boys now and how hard they work on their extras uh, in the gym. And yeah, everything's moving on a step, you know, obviously as the professional game evolves, but people will def- are definitely working as hard, if not harder than maybe back when I was coming through. And I think that's due to the opportunities that they can achieve in within the game. Um, then I suppose it's it's the mental side of it as well. I, I failed to mention that you know what makes the different um, difference in players. It comes down sometimes just to the top two inches. So when your rugby intellect, you know, are you a smart rugby player? Can you can you can you think and can you adapt and can you operate at that speed that requires you to be an international or a British lion, at the top end of the game, but also the the resilience as well, you know. Rugby is a tough game. You're going to get knocks. You're going to get setbacks. It's how, it's how you deal with that, and how you keep, obviously, pushing forward and accepting, accepting mistakes or accepting those hardships, but keep moving forward. Um, and that's probably the one thing that I've seen a little bit of a difference in in terms of some of the younger players now is maybe they don't have as many hardships as they're developing because a lot is provided for them, um, is how how well they can cope then with when things don't necessarily come their way easily. Um, and it's it's them accepting that it's not going to be easy. You have to go through the hard, you have to go through the hardships to make you that better player. It's um you're not entitled, you're not entitled to anything. You have to work hard to achieve it yourself. Yeah, I agree. I think it, resilience, both as a life skill and in sport, is is crucial. There's going to be good and bad days, and the ability to 
you know, get over those and, and as you said, keep moving forward is, is crucial, really. Listen, I'm, I'm conscious we're, we're closely approaching the time we set out for, so I'm going to ask you oh, one, okay. one last question, um, which is something I ask everyone, which is who's the best player or coach you've worked with or against and why? Oof. Very good question. Um, player, uh, like you said, it was very lucky to play with a lot of household names and a lot of talented, talented individuals uh, within the, um, within the Ospreys. You know, in my time as a player there, uh, you know, everyone knows the names. You know, Shane Williams, um, Tommy Bow, you know, James Hook. There are too many to name, do you know what I mean? But in, just for me personally, you guys probably had a massive impact on on me were the the, the Kiwis in the team. Um, so, like, and especially my position, like Marty Holler, Filo Tiatia, like, not necessarily, they were really good players, you know, they don't become all blacks for, for nothing, but... Um, it's what they were as people as well. So it's not just necessarily what they were as players, um, but what they did for me and um, just really good blokes. Like, so I, you know, I can't thank them enough for um, what they've done for my, so my rugby development. Um, so there's two guys who, you know, I would hold in really high esteem. Um, and coach wise, uh, a lot of my time as a player was spent under Jonathan Humphreys. Um, and a lot of my philosophies would come from him. So I obviously have got him to thank for that. Uh, in terms of then just style of coaching and um, and coaching his philosophies, uh, um, Brad Davis I thought was excellent, who was a defence coach at the Ospreys. Um, so he, I just thought he the way he coached his principles and coached his philosophies, it was, it was everything about was about process, um, yeah, coaching his principles and philosophies, and then just that player, um, his delivery style was excellent. I thought his delivery style was excellent. And then just in terms of managing players, um, and I'll be a good friend of mine, Steve Tandy, I thought was 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 really good at the Ospreys when, he, when he, um, he took over, you know, a young coach, going in and he probably didn't see a lot of a lot of what he did off the field but I think his his relationships that he built with players was, was excellent so was, you know there's a lot to be learned from that as well Perfect Tom listen I really appreciate your time and obviously hope um, you, you and your family stay safe and hopefully kind of get a few more wins this season Fingers crossed <laughs> Cheers Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.